Like any organization, the NFL has its share of dirty little secrets. The thing is, dirty little secrets eventually come to light. And that's what happened last night on Monday Night Football. It's a sports pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're here this Tuesday afternoon. Got to forewarn you, battling a cold. I know that it's coming. I'm pre-sick. I'm trying to fight through it, so excuse my voice today. We have got a lot to get to, though. It's too busy of a day to take a sick day because we're going to break down what happened last night on Monday Night Football, what happened down in Texas on the basketball floor. Something really incredible happened there. I'm going to chat with a Northern Michigan wrestler at the Olympic training site up here on campus. He has a chance to qualify for the Olympics. Hear that interview coming up in about 15 minutes. Plus, we'll play some Northern Michigan audio for you. Press conference day at Northern. We've got football, basketball, and hockey to break down for you over the course of the next hour. But let's start by breaking down Monday night football. A 24-17 win for the Kansas City Chiefs last night over the L.A. Chargers in Mexico City. First of all, I love that it was played in Mexico City. I hate the London games. I love that they play in Mexico City. I mean, we have pro sports teams in Canada. That makes sense. It makes more sense than going out to London. So Mexico City, how's that much different than Canada? I know about the elevation, the altitude. That just factors in a home field advantage. Have that GM build up a team specifically built to prosper in those conditions. Most kickers will prosper in those conditions. Most quarterbacks will prosper in those conditions. But Pat Mahomes in those conditions? Now, he didn't look abnormal last night, I should say. He didn't look unhuman last night like I was thinking he might in those kind of conditions. But on a weekly basis, sign me up. So the Chiefs win last night. The Chargers dropped to 4-7. and seven. For all intents and purposes, they are out of the playoff picture. After a year where they had such high expectations, coming off a 12-4 and four season a year ago, tying the Chiefs for the division lead, and now they're 4-7. and seven. They've lost all seven games by one score. The Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gotts is heard on here every weekday from 10 to 1. They hit the nail perfectly, and they've been saying it for years. Phillip Rivers is in a perpetual purgatory of being down seven with the football, having to drive the length of the field in less than two minutes. And he was again last night. The only thing is, Phillip Rivers isn't bailing the Chargers out with game-winning downfield drives like he used to. Phillip Rivers, at age 37, may have to accept that he's coming to the end. And that's that dirty little secret that got exposed last night. Phillip Rivers just looks washed. And I don't want to be critical of him because I really like Philip Rivers. But this is a guy who was talked about as an MVP candidate last year. Arguably was the second best, second most deserving quarterback behind Pat Mahomes. We're going to get to the MVP race here in a moment for this year. I'm going to talk about this year's MVP race. But with Philip Rivers, he's coming into the final year of his contract. He's going to be 38 years old. This doesn't seem like something that he's going to recover from. His football career doesn't seem like it's going to get better from here. He threw four interceptions last night. He had 53 pass attempts. I harp on the Bears for this. I harp on the Buccaneers for this. You look at their numbers, and it's so lopsided. They've got quarterbacks like Trubisky and Winston, and yet they insist throwing the football 40, 50 times a game while running it less than 20. And it's not a recipe for success. I said that the Rams did a good job of balancing those numbers, or at least tilting it in a way that favored them. 
by giving Todd Gurley more the touches and limiting Jared Goff to less than 20 throws in that game on Sunday night football against the Bears. Last night, Phillip Rivers had 53 pass attempts. The Chargers, as a team, carried the ball 19 times for 93 yards. As a team, they carried the ball 19 times. Not Austin Eckler, who could very well be a pro bowler this year. Not Melvin Gordon, who's regarded as one of the top running backs in football. As a team, they combined to carry the ball 19 times while your aging quarterback, who's looking like he's washed, I'm not saying he is, but he really does look like it this year, while he's throwing the football 53 times. That's not a recipe for success. That may very well land Anthony Lynn on the hot seat. See, the Chargers are in that perpetual state of being down one score. Late in the game, needing to drive the length of the field. It was always on Phillip Rivers, and Phillip Rivers would always take on the martyr role. I'm not saying that he wanted to be a martyr or wanted to make people feel sorry for him, or that he's not talented enough to lead the Chargers down the field. Because he is, or at least he has been, that kind of guy who would bail the Chargers out for the lack of skill put around him. But he's not that anymore. He's not that anymore. In fact, Phillip Rivers has more losses as a starting quarterback by seven points or less than any other quarterback in the Super Bowl era. Last night was his 61st loss by seven points or less as a starting quarterback. The thing is, he's not saving the day for the Chargers anymore. It used to be Phillip Rivers is going to come in and save the day. That's not it anymore. And again, seven of those 61 losses by seven points or less have come this season. All seven of the Chargers' losses this year have come by one score. Those are the games they were winning last year. That's how they got to 12 wins. But sports have a funny way of evening themselves out. And that's exactly what's happened to the Chargers this year. So how much longer does Phillip Rivers have in the NFL? I think we can absolutely make the comparison to Eli Manning here. And you all know by now, I'm an Eli Manning fan. But let me speak as a professional, because I'm not paid to be an Eli fan. I'm paid to be a professional. So let me talk about Eli and Phillip Rivers, guys who have history together ever since the 2004 draft. Let me talk about them as a sports media professional. Y'all know the story, what happened. Eli demanded to be traded from San Diego once they drafted him. Chargers were in San Diego back then. So the Chargers trade Eli to the Giants, and they get Phillip Rivers instead. Is this fair to say that Eli's peak was much higher than Phillip Rivers, but Rivers has been playing at a high level longer than Eli? Is that fair to say? They came in the league at the same time. Rivers has been better longer than Eli Manning but Eli's peak was far greater than Rivers ever was is that fair to say uh, Eli at his peak he was a top five quarterback I don't think there was at any point in Philip Rivers career where he was a top five quarterback yet he's always been right there he's always been a top seven eight something like that quarterback ever since he's been in the league and uh, not this year not this year and at age 37, with a team that's not very good around you, I don't see the situation getting much better for him. You've got Terod Taylor as your backup. Anthony Lynn coached Terod Taylor in Buffalo. 
and they made the playoffs with him at quarterback. And Taylor is one of those guys that he's not going to put together the sustained game-winning drive like Rivers did back in the day, even as recent as last year. But he doesn't turn the ball over. And right now, the Chargers are their own worst enemy. They keep turning the ball over. Terod Taylor doesn't do that. Terod Taylor is a very secure quarterback. He's not going to lose you a game. He's not going to go out and win you a game, but he's not going to lose you a game. And I start to wonder, as the Chargers come home from Mexico City, would they ever consider benching one of the greatest guys in the NFL? An all-time good guy. I don't know if Rivers is a Hall of Famer, but he is absolutely a good guy. Would they consider doing that in favor of Terod Taylor? Sitting at 4-7, and seven, you're out of the playoff picture, you're out of the division race. Oakland is ahead of you. Oakland might win this division. Did you see that graphic on Monday Night Football last night? Oakland has a much easier schedule than Kansas City does. And they're only half a game out. I still think the Chiefs win that division, but Oakland is a very serious playoff threat. The Chargers just haven't gotten the breaks to go their way like they did last year. And with the playoffs out of reach, for all intents and purposes, not mathematically, but in all reality, likelihood, would the Chargers consider a change at quarterback? Seeing what they have in Terod Taylor, a journeyman who I don't know if he's ever really gotten a fair shake. Would they ever consider making that change to decide, is this our future? Is our quarterback of the future on our roster right now? Or are we going to be one of those teams that's throwing our hat into the ring come draft day? We're going to talk more on that throughout the week. I want to get to the MVP race. I was going to do a segment talking about who should be where in the MVP race. But Vegas did it for me. Vegas came out with their newest odds, their updated MVP odds. And for the first time, Lamar Jackson is officially the front runner, according to Vegas. I thought Lamar Jackson was a front runner for a couple of weeks now. Vegas now agrees with me. Seven to five odds that Lamar Jackson wins the MVP award. Russell Wilson second at two to one odds. Two to one odds to win MVP in your second that's how good Lamar Jackson has been. That's how tight of a race this is going to be. Third is Aaron Rodgers at 9 to 1 odds. Pat Mahomes at 10 to 1. And a new member of the MVP race joining the top five, Dak Prescott at 10 to 1 odds. Same as Pat Mahomes. And you know what? I don't hate it. I'm not saying I love it, but I don't hate it. Because Dak has been playing like an MVP the last couple of weeks. I said it yesterday. They didn't struggle because of Dak Prescott on Sunday. Dak, I'm not saying, is an elite quarterback. I mean, sure, you give him a great tight end, a future Hall of Fame running back, a good wide receiver core, and yeah, he looks good. Not to mention an elite offensive line. I mean, sure, yeah, he looks good when you give him all those pieces. But the numbers don't lie. The numbers are there to say that Dak should be in the MVP talks. Now, should he be ahead of somebody like Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, no. I'm not even sure he should be ahead of Christian McCaffrey, who's been bumped in the top five. What about Kirk Cousins? Kirk Cousins, I think, has a case to be fairly comparable to Dak Prescott right now as far as the MVP race. I'm not saying neither's deserving, but you look at their numbers side by side, they're pretty similar. They're pretty similar. I would think Deshaun Watson has still got to be in the rearview mirror, although Sunday did not help his case whatsoever. 
In fact, his MVP stock took a tumble. Dak Prescott, I'm not saying is an elite quarterback. I still think he's fairly average. He looks good with good pieces around him. He's a game manager. He won't lose a football game for you. I don't think he'll win a football game for you, but he won't lose a football game for you. That being said, the numbers are there this season. The stats are there that Dak rightfully should be in the MVP conversation. I don't think he's going to win it. I don't think he deserves to be a finalist as it stands right now. I think it's clearly a two-man race. But talking about Dak, putting him in the conversation, I think it's absolutely justifiable. Absolutely, because he's got the numbers to back it up. He's got the resume. That's something we're going to keep coming back to throughout the course of the NFL season, the MVP race, and keep you updated on what Vegas thinks, what we think. Let's go to basketball, though, where last night Luka Doncic did something absolutely special. A 40-point triple-double before he can legally go buy a beer. Last night, he became the second player in NBA history to finish with a 40-point triple-double before his 21st birthday. The only other one to do it, LeBron James. It's pretty darn good company for Luka Doncic. I remember people were criticizing that pick, but Luka Doncic is not just the future, not just for Dallas basketball, but for the NBA. Doncic is not only the future. Luka Doncic is the present. Luka Doncic is here. And he couldn't even go out and celebrate becoming the youngest player in NBA history to record a 40-point triple-double. He couldn't go out and celebrate with a beer because he's not old enough. This dude's prime is still ahead of him. And he is accomplishing feats that only LeBron James has ever done. We got to take a timeout, but first... Let me give you your stat of the day. This is from Field Yates on Twitter. You can follow him at Field Yates. The active number of consecutive winning seasons in the NFL 2019 included. With zero, Arizona, Atlanta, Carolina, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Denver, Detroit, Green Bay, Jacksonville, Miami, the Giants, the Jets, Oakland, Tampa Bay, Washington. One season, Chicago, Houston, Indianapolis, San Francisco. Two seasons, Baltimore, the Chargers, the Rams, Minnesota, New Orleans, Philadelphia. Three seasons, Dallas, Tennessee. Four seasons, nobody. Five seasons, Pittsburgh. Six seasons, Kansas City. Seven seasons, Seattle. Eight through 18 seasons, nobody. 19 seasons, New England. The New England Patriots have 19 consecutive winning seasons with 2019 included. Nobody else has more than seven. Let's take a time out. When we come back, let's hit the phone line and talk with Spencer Woods, Northern Michigan Greco-Roman wrestler, as he has a shot at qualifying for the U.S. Olympic team. That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along. Guest joins us on the ESPN-UP phone line, Spencer Woods, wrestler at the Northern Michigan Olympic training site here on campus, and he's kind enough to give us a few minutes because he is going to be heading to the Olympic trials. Spencer, I really appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on all your success lately. How does it feel? Uh, thank you. Um, you know, it doesn't feel any different. Um, it's just an invitation to the party. 
uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. Has it set in yet? Do you feel like, wow, I have a chance at participating in the Olympics? Uh, well, when I first came up to Northern in January 2018, this was kind of um, my big goal, so to speak. Um, since then, obviously, I've gotten a little bit better, and now um, I'm telling myself that I'm the guy, I can make it, I'm going to go to Rio. Um, but, you know, thinking back to my younger self, it was like, hey, man, you, you did it. This is what you sought out to do, and now you're on track. Well, Spencer, before we get into your accomplishments and where you've been lately, because you've been doing a lot of traveling, let's help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. Where are you from? What are you majoring in? <laughs> I am from Shungnak, Alaska, uh, for... Those of you, most of you who uh, don't know where that is, that is about 50 miles above the Arctic Circle um, in the Northwest Arctic region. Um, and I am a biology major uh, with kind of a focus in uh, a pre-dental. Uh, I would like to go to grad school. So being above the Arctic Circle, do you experience a polar night when you go home? Oh, yes, sir. Um so we get a little bit of sunlight. So on the winter solstice, we get about 15 minutes of sunlight. Um, it's a little crazy. You can just watch the sun come up and down and like, boop, that's your day. Was an adjustment coming here like, wow, these guys get this kind of sunlight all year round? <laughs> uh, yes and no. It's a little different. Um, I grew up uh, traveling a lot. Uh, both of my parents um, wanted me to be uh, pretty well-traveled as a kid. Um, so I've People ask me all the time, do you have culture shock, you this and that? I'm like, no, I mean, this, the world's um, world's not that big of a place. It's all pretty similar. Well, you just won your first senior international gold over in Sweden. You were there earlier this month. Tell me about that event and that experience. Uh, for me, that was also another one of those milestones. Um, you know, it's always awesome to get out, do an international competition. Um but for those tournaments, I see them as kind of like these glorified practices. Uh, for me, I'm still visualizing, I'm still thinking um, about the future tournaments, such as the U.S. Open, um, the Olympic Trials Qualifier, um, and the Olympic Trials. I'm thinking about all these big tournaments, and I'm just thinking of putting myself in those situations mentally. And for those big tournaments... Um, I just kind of use those as a practice. When you were in New York this weekend, took second at the Bill Farrell Invite. Tell me about that event and that experience for you. Uh, this past weekend, um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, New York is a lot different than my home, um, but I enjoyed to get out, see all the commotion. Uh, the tournament itself uh, was really well put together. Um, we sent out a bunch of guys, a bunch of competition from the U.S., and, of course, internationally, um, I feel like I wrestled well. Um, personally, I think I was kind of having an off day. Um, but again, you have to be, um, I have to be prepared and ready to wrestle because when the Olympic trials come around, maybe I am going to have, you know, uh, not be feeling so great, maybe not get enough sleep and I have to be ready to wrestle and compete in that situation. And that's what I did this past weekend. Wasn't feeling too great. Um, but didn't make any excuses and went out there and had some fun. When and where will the Olympic trials be? 
the Olympic trials will be at Penn State College April 4th and 5th of this next year. So what do you do in the meantime? What what does it look like for you from now until then? Um, a little bit of everything. Um, as far as training goes, uh, we have one of the toughest rooms, if not the toughest room in the country. Uh, we have the best coach, in my opinion, Andy Bisa. He runs the tight ship around here. Um, and the training partners is what's made this program so special. Uh, we have a lot of senior guys uh, who've been around the program and uh, who really kind of developed this culture of just helping everyone get better. Because when you make your teammates better, your teammates make you better, and kind of one of those uh, iron sharpened iron kind of deals. Well, let's talk about the program and how you became involved in it. At what point did you realize that this is something that you wanted to pursue? <laughs> kind of a long story, but I'll try to sum it up here. It, um, I think it was the spring of 2017 was the first time I came up to northern Michigan. Um, at the time, I was wrestling for the University of Maryland Terrapin, um, and in our off-season, I was our only Greco wrestler in the room. So I struggled to find training partners, and my head coach, uh, two-time Olympian, Kerry McCoy, uh, kind of pulled some strings, made some connections for me to get up here um, to see Rob Herman, uh, who recently retired, Andy Bisick, and uh, at the time, I'm, I didn't even know the Upper Peninsula was a thing. Um, it was uh, my first time up here, and as soon as I stepped foot on campus, I'm like, wow, this is this is my home. This is where I want to be. I do not see myself wrestling at Maryland for another four years. I see myself coming here. And uh, later that year, I asked to be released from Maryland, and I soon transferred in uh, January 2018. Talking with Spencer Woods, Greco wrestler at the Northern Michigan Olympic training site. Spencer, you mentioned that you're a Greco wrestler, and for those of our listeners who don't know, how's that different from traditional wrestling you might see at the high school or college level? So the main difference between uh, Greco-Roman wrestling and freestyle folk style wrestling is that it is all um, upper body attacks. You cannot use your legs to start or stop an offense. Um, so it pretty much <laughs> it looks like really aggressive hugging if you had to <laughs> if I had to describe it. Spencer, how about training? What does that look like for you? What's your schedule from day to day? When do you get up, go to bed? How much of your day is spent training? Uh, well, every day I wake up around 5.30. Um, I have my set little morning routine, just kind of get me ready and the right mindset for the day. Um, at 6.30, we have our first training session, um, and this is every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Uh, 6.30 a.m. training sessions. Um, it varies. We do pretty much everything under the sun to get us prepared for competition. Um, after that, um, around 8.30, I try to grab a quick bite to eat. And um, at my first class, uh, I have 9 a.m. every day of the week, which is kind of killer. But, hey, I'm I'm a student. I don't want to get a degree. Um, I have class until about uh 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, and uh, our second training session is at 3.30 in the afternoon. Again, depending on the day, we might be lifting weights, uh, we might be running bleachers, we'll be wrestling, doing some technique. Um, We do a lot of mental training, and then 
after that practice, around 5.36, it's uh, time to get some dinner and, um, you know, knock out some homework. Or some days I have some evening classes. I need to uh, make sure I attend all those classes. And uh, I try to be in bed by like 9, 10 o'clock at night. How about diet, nutrition, stuff like that, Spencer? What does a typical diet look like for you? Well, growing up, um, my dad and I, uh, being in rural Alaska, uh, we hunted and harvested all of our meat. So we were, I grew up eating a lot of caribou, bear, uh, a lot of moose, um, a lot of fish, salmon. Uh, so transitioning over to... Um, a place that doesn't offer all those meats. Um, I'm a little picky when it comes to what kind of meat that I eat. Um, I believe high-quality meats um, transition into high-quality performances. So I'm always looking to get, like, the best, um, you know, grass-fed beef or what have you. I'm always trying to get some wild game. Uh, Sometimes my parents will send me a box of some, like, dried caribou or some dried fish. Um, but besides that, it's a lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables. Uh, I try to stay away from just like those white carbohydrates, um, anything that I feel like will slow myself down. Because I think when you feel your body right, um, you're going to get the most out of your performance. Did you always know that you wanted to pursue Greco wrestling? Or at what point did you decide that this was something that you might have a future in? Um, it was probably when I came here for the first time. Um, I didn't grow up wrestling uh, Greco-Roman. Uh, a little bit in high school, um, but not nearly to the degree that <laughs> we wrestle and train here. Um, I always thought of it as like this, just a sport that wasn't really for me. I mean, it's just so different. Um I like to describe it as, or actually the head coach of USA Wrestling um, actually coined this. Uh, he said that the difference between Greco-Roman and the other styles, like freestyle and folk style, is that freestyle and folk style, they are blacksmiths. They are um, just like swinging, like these big hammers, just banging around. Whereas Greco-Roman athletes, they're more as, like watchmakers, it's a lot of fine tuning. It's um, it's a game of millimeters. Um, every small angle makes a huge difference, and um, that's what kind of caught my eye. I like paying attention to details. Spencer Woods, Olympian, hopeful at the Northern Michigan Olympic Training Site on campus. Appreciate the time, Spencer. Best of luck. We'll be following your career and hopefully talk again sometime. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Let's take a time out. we got some Northern Michigan audio for you next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along. Here's your Sports Center update. The Portland Trailblazers announced that Carmelo Anthony will be active for tonight's game against New Orleans. Anthony last took the NBA floor just over a year ago. 
Philadelphia 76ers head coach Brett Brown is finalizing a deal to coach the Australian national team at next year's Olympics in Tokyo. And finally, the state of South Dakota paid a Minnesota-based ad agency $449,000 to promote Governor Kristi Noem's anti-meth campaign. The motto reads, meth, we're on it. I hope that deal came with a refund, a money-back guarantee, because they are just getting roasted on Twitter. Trust me, I've been to South Dakota. Not everybody is on it. But still, no publicity is bad publicity. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along once again. It was press conference day at Northern Michigan. I've got some audio for you. Football, basketball, and hockey. Let's start with head football coach Kyle Nystrom as the Wildcats fall on Saturday against Ashland 31-10. Coach gave us his thoughts on the day. You know, um, after the, the Saginaw game, we, we just couldn't hold up any man, in any man-match coverage. So we redid... Uh, you know, the secondary coverage system and basically played really soft over the top of everything just, you know, just to prevent as many of the deep balls as we could. And it gave them a hard time. And and so forced them to run the ball a little bit more. And, um, you know, by halftime they, they made some adjustments and they kind of just gave up. And we were, you know, what was it, a four-point game at halftime? And um, just trying to hang in there, you know, and just get a break, you know what I mean? And and we got that break in the third quarter where the game was still a tight game, and we didn't execute an option the right way. I think it would have it would have hit pay dirt if we would have got it. You know, the the pitch player didn't take the right steps, and he was a little bit out of pitch phase, and we didn't read it right. If we would have got the ball in, in good phase and made the right read with the quarterback and got it kicked on the pitch, I think it would have been a good play for us. And then we were, you know, we would have been tied right back up late third quarter, but we didn't execute. And then we went for the field goal and we got it, it got blocked. You know, it was, it was a combination of things. It was a little bit of a low kick. We had some leakage in the A gap and, and the ball got knuckled and didn't make it over. So up to that point, it was a very competitive football game. And then in the fourth quarter, we just couldn't move the ball. We just can't throw the ball. And so... You know, we've got to be able to throw the ball, and that's, you know, we got to get our quarterback situation resolved. we got to get some receivers situation resolved. Um, I like where we're at with the running backs. Or, you know, DeAndre will return after the surgery, um, and, and the two freshmen, they're going to be just fine. And um, we got to get a little more mass in the offensive line. We're a little bit, we're a little bit light in, in between the guards and the center, and we have a hard time running the zone against the defenses in our league um, and so we've got to we've got to get that those situations resolved we got to be able to throw the ball because uh, everybody just packs the box they got all 11 defenders and they got the coaching staff and they got the cheerleading squad and they got you know they got everybody packed in there and so the only way to back them out of the box is to be able to go after them and, and hit them with with the ball in the air and if they don't respect that, they don't, they don't, they don't play that way. So we've got to get that fixed. Uh, the defensive line, we, we've got to have more productivity. You know, we, we were playing a little bit thin in there after we lost some players for the year. But no matter which way you slice it and dice it, we've got to be more productive in there. I think the backers, you know, if, if it almost feels like if the two linebackers or Antonio don't make the play on the run game, 
was going to it's going to get out for a little bit more than we all wanted to. So we've got to we've got to get our D line a little more productive, obviously. Um, and so we've got some young players that are going to have to come around. We're going to have to stay healthy. Uh, you know, the linebackers will be fine. Um, the secondary will be better because you you played a lot of freshmen this year and they're all back for next year. And um, looking at bringing some kids in, so. You know, we'll have to replace John Daniels back. We got our long snappers back, so our special teams should be intact. We just got to find a punter, and um, we'll do that. And uh, was happy with the punt team, punt return team. Very little to do, but what we had to do, we were okay. They got a fourth down conversion on us, but it was it is what it is on that kickoff return. We were very good this year. Um, we we were as volatile on kickoff return against our opponents as Northern used to be when I was on coaching down at the other school. I was scared to death on kickoff um, when they had that good return team. And so I think we're back to that point. We were good. We're to the point where they won't kick it to us anymore. So in kickoff team, we played well. And so, you know, playing that is, is you know, as light as we were in coverage, defending everything deep and playing over the top and playing everything soft, and like I alluded to last week, it, it, you don't have as many hats and you're not as staunch against the run game, and they ended up wearing us down. But if we'd have had productivity on the offense and got some points and moved the ball and were able to throw the ball and had some consistency in drives, you know, that game wouldn't have been away from us in the fourth quarter, but we did. It was very competitive. That's the best we've played at Ashland since I've been here. And um, So that's just where we're at right now. So, team meeting today, uh, we had a big recruiting meeting yesterday with the staff, and we move forward. The players that we have, I guarantee you they're working. They'll be lifting on their own, and they, they know the weight room hours, and they'll handle that themselves. And so, we'll have our wrap-up meeting and our exit interviews, and get ready to recruit, and we'll be on the road uh, right after Thanksgiving. So despite being young, despite being injury-riddled, what positives can Coach take away from this season? Uh, a team that was very young. We get pushed around and ran by a little bit because, you know, we, we don't match up yet experience-wise. But that'll make you better with your younger players because they've been in the fire earlier than, than most. So, you know, we had a head coaches meeting today, and, and Troy and I were talking across the table. And when you're playing more than – couple freshmen it's really difficult and we played a lot of freshmen this year and we have been playing a lot of freshmen since we've been here um so basically you know the the numbers in our program right now are the sophomore class the redshirt freshmen and the true freshmen that's where our heavy numbers are and uh, we're, we're going to get some players that had to sit out this year to get their eligibility back that were transferred in that are going to help us so that all come together in, in the off-season conditioning and in the spring ball i'm looking forward to that very interesting to see how the quarterbacks come around. That, that'll be that'll be fun for the spring, just as a coach, to see what's going to transpire with the quarterback position. You really go into spring, and all the positions are open, so you can compete and find out who wants to go get it. And so, you know, every position will be open, and we'll move forward and go go about our business. Coach Kyle Nystrom of the Northern Michigan football team, his team seeing their season come to an end on Saturday. Let's go over to hockey. Head coach Grant Petoni sat down with us. Coach wasn't happy with the way his team started Saturday night as part of a 3-2 loss against Alaska. 
it's a process, right? And um, it, when you're doing things, and, and again, we're kind of trending the right way again. Uh, we, we had a great week of practice. I thought we played pretty good on Friday. Um, you know, s Saturday, there's just, there's moments that we just, we had to change. Um, but you have to flush it too. You know, like I, I can't, you know, yesterday, so at, for practice, what would I like to do? Um, what I'd like to do ain't going to make us any better. So um, we did video, and I sent them bowling. You know, park it, move on, um, spend the day with your teammates, and come back today, and let's get better. And at the end of the day, that's the goal of every team is to get better for the end of the year. And um, me carrying this just to make me feel better doesn't make our team better. One aspect Coach really likes is the penalty kill. Special teams have been a bright spot for Northern so far this year. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, you know, we've taken probably more penalties than I'd like. Um, you know, and and Hank has taken some fives and he does t take some penalties. I have less of an issue with his because their physicality and, you know, and, and there's still intimidation in the game. Um, less in college hockey than junior pro, but... Um, people know when Hank's on the ice, and uh, we'll kill those. You know, the ones that end up getting you, it's the hookings and the holdings and the stick penalties because you're out of position and you're just in the wrong place, and so you have to take a penalty because you aren't in the proper position. We know there's been kind of a goalie tandem. There's been a little bit of net controversy. John Hawthorne saw the net both nights this weekend. Does that mean that he is going to be the guy going forward? I think I think they're both going to play. Um, you know, going in, I didn't, you know, I thought just thought John played good on Friday. And uh, every once in a while, somebody has a team's number. So I wanted to give John a chance. Um, you know, Nolan has been in that building. You know, that's he hasn't played there, but he's been there. Um, so you got to take that into consideration also. So now a fun week here at Northern. It's Tech Week. Northern and Michigan Tech getting set to square off this weekend. Friday up in Houghton. Saturday night, it's here. They defend like crazy. You know, if you look at their numbers there, uh, they give up two goals a game. It's hard to win as an opponent if you only score two. So we got to find a way to generate some offense. Um, they're, they've won three of their last four games. They just swept um, a rival on the road. So they got a lot of things going the right direction for them. Um, their goaltending has been phenomenal. It doesn't matter which guys played for them. They've all got great numbers. And Jurisic's played very well for them lately. Um, you know, because they defend so well, there's going to be stretches where we're not going to get as much done offensively as we would hope. But you have to stay with it, and, and you just can't get frustrated. You just have to keep going back to it and going back to it and going back to it and, and, and hope you find a little daylight there. This is a Northern team averaging about four goals a game, just a shade under that. The guys at the beginning of the year would just kind of expect the goals to come. They expected the offense to be there on a given night. Is that mindset changing? I hope not. I hope we still... You know that the offensive side of it is is something that's really hard. We talked a little bit about it. Really hard to 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 coach mid-season. You find that in recruiting. Um, you know, and hopefully those guys continue that have started will continue to score. Um, area we have to get better offensively is five-on-five five scoring. Um, we're kind of living and dying on the power play right now, and uh, at some point it's it's you know a Saturday night. You know, we had a chance in the power play at the end to tie the game and. Um, it's going to happen. Like, it's just not going to score. So we have to do a better job five on five. 
Uh, and I think it goes hand in hand with our defending five on five. It's sometimes it's just bloody nose alley. Like you just got to get in there and, and and keep going back to it. And, and you got to win that five foot area. Um, you know, like man on man, like you just line up next to somebody, and I'm going to beat you this shift. And and that's I think we got to get that back in our game, both defensively and offensively. And um, I'm looking forward to a different environment. You know, whether it's even practice at Lakeview this week, being home for a month is a long time. Uh, so that'll keep it, get something fresh going. Um, I'm excited to go on the road. Uh, I really look forward to this rivalry now that I can appreciate it to the level that, um, you know, I think being part of it for three years now, you understand it. And uh, I think it's a great time for us to play them. Tech is off to a bit of a slow start offensively. They're a defensive-heavy team this year. Northern kind of built the opposite. Does Tech's slow start offensively surprise, Coach? I think they're good players. Um, you know, I, I uh, here's the thing. I mean, if you remember last year, we were off to a slow start, too. And some of that's your schedule. You know, they've played uh, the two teams that were picked to finish first and second in our league. Um, that's was two of their first league opponents. Um, you know, they played North Dakota on the road. Um, they've, they've had a challenging schedule, so sometimes that affects how you generate offense too. But when you look at their players and, and you've seen them either in recruiting or you've played against them, I think they have good players. Um, you know, I, probably more of who they played than, you know, their own offensive woes or whatever you want to call it. I think it's probably the schedule they've had. And we know that we have a mutual opponent with Alaska now. They swept Tech earlier this year. Did Coach take anything away from Alaska and how they played Tech? Nothing really. I mean, I, I, they just Tech plays hard. They play very hard, and there's second efforts and third efforts, and they block shots. And um, you know, that's going to be an important part of the weekend is is matching that intensity. Head coach Grant Petoni of the Northern Michigan hockey team, his team getting set to take on Michigan Tech arch rivalry this weekend. We're going to be following that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's take our last time out. I've got some basketball audio from both the men's and women's teams next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, check out the Sports Pen podcast on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along as we close out the show. I've got some Northern Michigan basketball audio from both head men's coach Matt Mackerzak and head women's coach Troy Matson, each coming off their Minnesota trip. Before I play that audio for you, though, I've got some other audio to play because it's kind of a gruesome sports anniversary today. And maybe it's appropriate that it's the same week as the Steelers-Browns brawl on Thursday night football. Because 15 years ago today was Malice at the Palace in Auburn Hills. Malice at the Palace 15 years ago today. That epic brawl between the Pistons and Pacers. And I say it's a gruesome day because it was one year ago today, Alex Smith suffered that horrific injury. And 34 years ago today, Joe Theismann suffered his horrific career-ending injury. It's just kind of a gruesome sports anniversary day. But here's the audio that I want to play for you, and this is courtesy of the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gatz. Dan Lebitard 
had Steven Jackson, one of the players involved in Malice at the Palace, on Highly Questionable, his TV show that runs in the afternoons on the ESPN family and networks. And they were talking about the aftermath, the locker room scene, and Steven Jackson's conversation with Metal World Peace, known back then as Ron Artest, and what happened in the locker room. after When they finally got the team to the locker room, how did things go down? What was the mood like in the locker room after? It's great audio. Take a listen. Right after the brawl, we're in the locker room. So we're sitting there, legs all scratched up from hopping over the bleachers, our adrenaline pump, because we done laid a couple people out. We feeling like we did. <laughs> we did something, you know what I mean? We all sit back, and Ron Artest, a.k.a. Metal World Peace, leans back and look at Jamal Artest and asks us, do you think we're going to get in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I say, I say, I say, I say, I say, Ron, trouble. You're lucky we still have a job. <laughs> the dude really asked after the biggest, most vicious brawl in NBA history, are we going to get in trouble? It's great. 15 years ago, Malice at the Palace. We've got that Northern Michigan audio for you to end the day. Let's start on the women's basketball side of things with head coach Troy Matson. His team coming off a Minnesota trip. Coach gave us his overall summary. Uh, it was an offensive struggle all weekend for us. You know, it's, uh, how will I sum it up? We're not even going to worry about Thursday because that's not the way we're going to play. Uh, we got caught up in a game that uh, we don't want to play that way, and uh, I allowed us to play that way. And um, we learned a lot from it. And um, so we made our adjustments on Friday and came back and played against Duluth, um, which is the telltale of what I'm trying to what we're trying to accomplish here, and I thought we played really well. For this point in the season, we played well against Duluth. I mean, we held them to 45 points. This is a good basketball team. And uh, the problem was we just had this nightmare evening of putting the ball in, into the basket. I mean, it just didn't go in. And uh, so we checked it in the film and watched it with our players yesterday. And you know, going into about the last couple minutes of the game, we only had eight turnovers. So that means you're getting shots. And all of our shots were majority around the basket. And, you know, Jessica goes one for 14. And if she has an average night, makes six, we've got a chance to win. And we had it cut to seven with about four or five minutes to go. And, and then we had a freshman break down on defense and gave up a three. So we went jump right back up to 10. You know, and the game was pretty much out of reach then, but we were competing. Uh, we were playing the, the style that we wanted to play. And uh, uh, ultimately what you got to do is get the ball to go in the basket, and we really struggled with that part. So now how about the upcoming schedule? What does Coach foresee in the near future? S- same types of teams. You know, St. Cloud State, uh, very similar to Mankato and Duluth. Uh, they're big, athletic, strong, uh, mature. And then uh, the same thing is going to happen uh, when we play Concordia St. Paul uh, on Sunday. So uh, I play these teams for a reason. That's toughen us up, find out where we're at, what we need to work on. If we're not playing somebody very good and we're winning by 20 or 30 points, which a lot of teams in our, pro, in our conference do, uh, you don't learn much about your team. Um, both us and Tech went out to Minnesota and we both took some lumps this weekend and and uh, now we got to go and, uh, you know, figure out how we need to play and be good to play at home here. And, you know, we haven't played at home yet, so it'll be good to play at home and hopefully we can shoot the ball better and get a little confidence in our offensive game. But uh, defensively, we make great strides on Sunday. 
Troy Matson's teams are known for being stingy defensively. Offensively, though, sometimes that can be a challenge. Is it too early for offense to be a concern for them? I think it's going to be a concern. That's why we got to play great defense every night. You know, again, we can't have our probably most important player, Jessica, not play well. I mean, she's got to play at least good, you know. And, and then, you know, the injuries to our to Lexi and Liz are they're pretty severe. And um, so those are people that get points for us, and they're just not capable right now uh, of playing at the level they need to play. So that's going to be a process of monitoring them and managing them throughout the whole season. And uh, But uh, we had some good points. Uh, Aaron Hunkel had a great weekend, I thought, in both games. Uh, Amber Huebner just played her tail off all weekend. and So I, I think it's all going to fit. Um, it's just a matter of uh, when. And we needed this week break right here to not to play till Saturday so that we can get organized here in the next few days uh, to find out uh, where we're going to get baskets and how we're going to stop people. So Coach was expecting to go about 11-12 deep into his bench on a given night, but with injuries, players coming back, being eligible, how does that mix up Northern's rotation? My rotation got a lot smaller after Thursday night's game. Uh, I said I can't be putting three, four freshmen out there. They, they just don't get it. You know, It just takes too much time for them. You know, I can deal with maybe one freshman at a time out there, um, but we were playing three, four on Thursday night, and it was just scatter. You know, it wasn't it wasn't us, and uh, so we tried to shorten our bench a little bit on Thursday or on Sunday, uh, I, or on Saturday. I thought we did a good job with it. Um, the minutes were spread out pretty good, other than Jessica's, and and uh, people played better. We we can't play at a fast pace. Uh, we just don't have that. Uh, those capabilities, we didn't have those capabilities last year, we didn't have the capabilities the year before, we're just not built that way, you know, and uh, we need to go and, and uh, really be tough defensively uh, and execute on offense, and I thought we did both against Duluth. We executed, uh, we played tough defense, we rebounded, and uh, we just couldn't get the ball going in our basket. So it'll be a big telltale sign this weekend, can we get a little bit more comfortable on offense so that we can uh, put ourselves in positions to win basketball games. Troy Matson, head women's basketball coach at Northern Michigan. Let's turn it over to the men's side to close out the day with Matt Mackerzak, his team coming off their Minnesota trip. Coach recapped it for us. I thought we played three um, really good halves defensively, and we played one good half offensively, and um, that's kind of going to be the nature of our team is as we continue to grow. I think we're going to have more offensive performances, and then the defensive end just needs to continue to grow in, in how consistent it can be. And... Uh, I think we're starting to really figure out what it's going to take for this version of this team to be a good team. Um, I don't know if we can do it night in and night out yet, but I know that I feel like our guys have a much better understanding of just what it takes now, which um, I think the, the first four games were great for us that way, where we could really experience a lot of ups and downs, but maybe not have the record be as bad as it could have been in some ways. Last week, Coach said Duluth is a team that could contend for a national championship. They were tied at halftime, tied at 31 with Duluth, and then the Bulldogs started pulling away in the second half. Did Coach feel like that was a good measuring stick? Yeah, I thought we played really well the first half. I thought we did kind of what we asked them to do defensively and, and limit them as best we could. The, the problem when you play those elite teams is no matter how much you do defensively, they're going to score. So at some point, we got to be able to, in games like that, um, make plays while the other team's making plays. I think it's it's obviously harder to do when you play another team that's really good because as every time they score, you, it almost amps the pressure up on you. 
where in our two wins, when we kept getting stops, it felt like the momentum was always kind of there for us. And when the other team has momentum, that's when that's when you miss those elite players. Um, and that's where we need guys like Alc Froon and Ben Wolf and some of the other guys to continue to become those kind of stoppers for us when the other team goes on a run. So now the basketball team is off to Alaska. They're going to take on Fairbanks and Anchorage over the holiday break. Coach gave us his thoughts on the upcoming trip. I think it's really nice that we have off this week because um, we don't play this weekend at all. So we have a lot of time to kind of work on us this week and then go out and do a trip that I view as, yeah, it's going to be a really, really important two games like every game is going to be for us this season. But also um, it's a lot of time that we're going to get to spend with each other, eating, on the road, um, just doing things that a lot of these kids have never done before in their lives. I've never done in my life, and we might never do it again since it's not kind of part of our conference thing. So I think I think we got to all look at it as kind of a special opportunity to do something that maybe we haven't done before and won't do again. So I'm excited about it. Coach has never taken a team to Alaska before, thankfully. A couple people on campus have, and we're willing to offer advice. Between Forrest and Grant, I've tried to pick their brains as much as I can, knowing that both of them have spent a lot more time there than I have so um, some advice when it comes to kind of where to eat and just stuff like that and little trips to take but then also advice on how to get our team ready because the game on Saturday will be an 11 30 p.m. tip-off our time so you know you got to kind of uh, change your body's um, internal clock and things like that in order to get used to playing at a little different time when normally at least I'm in bed our guys might not be in bed at 11 30 but I'm usually sleeping by then so uh, yeah, it should be exciting. So what do we know about the Alaska schools? What's their MO? Not much yet. Um, we've been kind of more us this week, before, and we'll kind of amp up their stuff on this weekend going into next week. Um, I know Anchorage is off to a really good start. I think they were 4-1 and one last time I checked, and I think Fairbanks was 1-4. and four. So um, it looks like we'll probably get um, kind of like we've had these other weekends where one team's maybe at least projected a little bit higher than the other team. And, um, so far, it seems like we, we we kind of play well against whoever we play well against more so than our opponents. So we'll see. It should be fun. Matt Mackerzak, men's basketball coach at Northern Michigan. His team coming off their Minnesota trip, getting set for their Alaska trip. That is it for us. We're hitting the 5 o'clock hour here on ESPN-UP. Glad to have you along today. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder, we're back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me and the guys from ABC10. They're always a fun time. It's going to be a fun show tomorrow. Hope to have you along then. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Signing off from ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. I'm Tanner Hoops. We'll see you tomorrow.